suffering uh, this morning from Lou Rawls' voice. If you know who that is, I just dated myself. This week I celebrated my 63rd birthday. Thank God for that. And I thank you all for the card, the birthday card. Huh? <laughs> uh, not yet. <laughs> um, I'm really thankful this morning that God placed Lisa and I at this time in this church. Uh, I love you guys. It's it's a tremendous blessing to be under the authority of godly men and to be encouraged and edified by godly women and men who sincerely love the Lord Jesus and seek to serve Him uh, by loving justice, doing kindness, and walking humbly with God. Um, I was searching on the web for something this week, and I stumbled across a photo of a chicken crossing the road. And the caption said, I got my reasons. (laughs) I love that. The topic I've chosen to speak on this morning is living safely uh, or living dangerously for God. Why that topic, you ask? I like the chicken. I have my reasons. Um, I was so encouraged this morning through the choice of songs and, uh, and through the prayer time, and particularly Pat's prayer, because I think it really dovetails in exactly to what I feel like the Lord has prepared in this message. And I assure you I've prayed diligently the past couple of weeks over this message and labored, labored over it. And I just pray that uh, God's strength will be perfected in my weakness. Um, So safety and living dangerously. I saw a survey recently of what concerns high school young people today the most. And one of the top answers was safety. Kind of a curious thing, I thought. But then it occurred to me that high schoolers today have uh, grown up in the shadow of 9-11 Uh, Their country has been at war with Afghanistan their entire lives. Um, They endure online bullying, the pressure of social media, peer pressure. They've been traumatized by gun violence in schools. And as a result, they wonder if they're even going to be safe when they go to school. They've also been told that they have 12 years to reverse the effects of global warming or the planet will cease to exist. So they're fearful for their very existence. There's a lot to be fearful of today. Bill talked about looking at the news. It's not only depressing, it's downright scary. And it got me thinking, what does the Bible say about safety? I did a word search on safety and found several verses in the Old Testament, but there was only one in the New Testament. And that verse is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. That wasn't the context of the word safety that I was looking for. Um, In looking at the Old Testament uh, references to safety, I discovered that God can provide safety for us 
But what he promises to us if we serve him is not safety, but calamity and conflict. Our natural reaction to a scary world and an ever-growing hostile society to Christianity is to hunker down, to lay low, and try to not draw attention to ourselves. But this is not God's plan. Now, I'm by nature a very cautious person. I'm the guy in the house that locks all the doors, turns off all the lights, and makes sure everything's secure. If you ask my children how I usually say goodbye to them, it's as they're going out the door, I say, be safe, be careful. Now, I'm a loving father. I dearly, sincerely, deeply love my kids. But I realize that I'm, as I'm trying to express love for them by saying be careful or be safe, I'm also imparting to them a fear of what's waiting for them on the outside. What's out there that could make them unsafe? And in doing that, I'm not preparing my children to go out into the world. I'm not preparing them to stand up and to stand out for Christ. Here's the truth. It is not safe to follow Jesus. It never has been. There's a cost associated with identifying with Christ. Too many of us are playing it safe when we should be living dangerously. This is not a time for laying low. It's a time for laying down, laying down our wills, laying down our lives, laying down our fears. That's what Christ calls us to. No one except Jesus himself exemplified living dangerously more than the Apostle Paul, I think. In his Damascus Road conversion, the Lord told Paul through Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake and suffer he did. In 2 Timothy 2.3, Paul says to Timothy, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It is difficult and dangerous to be a Christian. Paul goes on in 2 Timothy 2, 8-13 to say, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul was accustomed to suffering and hardship. He knew about living dangerously for God. Someone once described a Christian like this. A Christian is one who is completely fearless, continuously cheerful, and constantly in trouble. Does that sound like you or me? I run from trouble. I try to avoid it. A Christian is one who is completely fearless, continuously cheerful, and constantly in trouble. That could describe Paul. Paul anticipated trouble everywhere he went. He constantly found himself in danger and in trouble for the kingdom of God. 
Now, God does not call us to live foolishly or presumptuously, but I believe he does call us to live dangerously for his kingdom. That is outside of our comfort zones. Ephesians 5, 14 through 21 says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I think that describes our fellowship. That's what we're about. We come together to, to worship God and to challenge one another to walk in Christ and to be true to him. That last line, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. If we're to have fear in our lives, it is the fear of Christ. Luke 12, 4 through 5 says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more, uh, no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now that's straight to the point. We need to shake off our comfortable Christianity. Christianity by nature has always been offensive, not defensive. It's proactive rather than reactive. We're to be the cutting edge rather than the dull edge of our society. Francis Schaeffer once said that we Christians are too often the taillight instead of the headlight of society. We're often pointed in the wrong direction as we live out our faith in our society. Headlights show the way. Paul had headlights. He was one of the most dangerous men of his age. He was on everybody's hit list. To the Romans, the Jewish leaders, and the Gentiles, Paul was a dangerous man. When he and Silas went to Thessalonica, it was said of them that these men who have turned the world upside down have now come to us. Wouldn't that be cool if people said that kind of thing about us? I'd like to have that reputation. Every part, everywhere Paul went, he lived dangerously. And as a result of living dangerously, he was a catalyst for the things of God. God wants us to be kingdom-minded people living and walking in a manner, in a manner that's countercultural to the world. In his book, The Radical Disciple, John R. W. Stott, the renowned English Anglican priest and leader in the evangelical movement of the last century, <coughs> excuse me, has noticed that there are four major secular trends which threaten to engulf the Christian community. They are pluralism, materialism, relativism, and narcissism. In the face of these, we are called not to feeble-minded conformity, but to radical nonconformity. Over against the challenge of pluralism, we're to be a community of truth, standing up for the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Over against the challenge of materialism, we're to be a community of simplicity and pilgrimage. Over against the challenge of relativism, we're to be a community 
of obedience. And over against the challenge of narcissism, we're to be a community of love. It would seem that in 2019, we as Christians may be losing the culture war in America. What do you think? Why do you think that would be so? Possibly there's more of the leaven of the world in the church than there is the salt of the church in the world. Possibly too many of us are on the sidelines seeking safety rather than danger for the kingdom. With the idea of being countercultural and influential in today's society in mind, let's look back at Paul's life and, and point out six ways that Paul lived dangerously for the kingdom of God as seen in Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 30. 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 30. The context of this is that some teachers have come behind Paul to the church in Corinth and are trying to build themselves up at his expense by putting him down. We pick up in verse 22 where Paul says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Paul lived dangerously for the kingdom of God physically. Physically lived dangerously. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 27 continues, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep, in the water. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Ready to sign up? Paul was physically living dangerously for the sake of the gospel. He put it on the line bodily for the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 12 says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Thank God that these men of faith suffered the way they did on our behalf. That great cloud of witnesses. And then in verses 16 through 18 it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. After all of that, we do not lose heart. But through our outer, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 
while we look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now we look at this scripture and we think momentary light affliction? Really? That's a godly perspective. That's having your mind renewed by the Spirit. It sounds prolonged and brutal to me. But Paul had a biblical perspective, of course. He knew that as Jesus suffered, he also would suffer as he shared the gospel. He also knew that the product of glory was worth the process of pain and suffering. There's an eternal weight of glory that is no comparison to temporal suffering. The key to endurance is looking not at what is seen, but rather what is unseen. Paul knew that to endure the temporal, he had to have the mindset of Jesus that was seen in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Paul also knew that God's grace was sufficient in his suffering. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10 says, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for, you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insult, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul lived dangerously physically. Number two, Paul also lived dangerously emotionally. We pick up in 2 Corinthians 11, 11, 28 through 29. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure of on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin with my, without my intense concern? Paul was burdened for the churches he had established. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Paul bore the burden of caring for the church. In verse 30, he says, If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Paul had humility in his estimation of what is worthy of boasting of in his life. In Acts 20, 18 through 24, he said, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. 
He won't be staying at the Holiday Inn. There's a jail cell in every city for Paul. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And then in verses 27 through 31, he continues, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Paul was invested emotionally in the kingdom of God. He lived dangerously emotionally. Paul was burdened. He did not cease to admonish each believer with tears. Who do we weep for? Who do we labor for and pour our lives into with tears for the kingdom of God? Number three, Paul lived dangerously racially. He was in danger with the Jews because he challenged their religiosity and their tradition. He was in danger with the Gentiles because he challenged their godless philosophy and their pagan idolatry. The church today obviously still struggles with issues of race. We should be the representation to the world of what true racial reconciliation is all about. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we all know the verse, but let's look beginning at verse 14. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> it reads, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, Therefore, all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. If the love of Christ controls us, we're no lo- we would no longer recognize people according to the flesh. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. All things have become new, praise God. The path to true racial reconciliation is through salvation in Jesus Christ with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to no longer look at one another based on the outer man, but rather as spiritual men and women of God. And we look to those who have not yet received the love of God, and we see the potential of a life that can only be fully realized in Jesus. So Paul lived dangerously racially. Number four, he also lived dangerously socially. He said he was in danger in the city, He was in danger in the country. He wasn't concerned about moving in the right circles. He he had social pedigree uh, to walk among the elite. He had the educational background, having studied under Gamaliel, I think is the pronouncement, Acts 22. He spoke several languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Latin. 
He was well-schooled in Greek philosophy, and to top it off, he was born a Roman citizen. Paul considered all this but rubbish that he might gain Christ. He was a tent maker. He was comfortable in any situation, whether speaking to scholars or peasants, men or women, Jew or Greek. He lived dangerously socially. He also lived dangerously theologically. He said in verse 26 of 2 Corinthians 11 that I am in danger from false brothers. Some were trying to build themselves up by putting him down. Paul spoke out publicly and he wrote letters against theological heresy. He took a strong stand for doctrinal truth. He did not compromise the word of God. If we take a stand for God's truth, we will have trouble in the world today as well. Paul also lived dangerously financially. Paul warned against the prosperity gospel, those who uh, use godliness in, as a way of financial gain, 1 Timothy 6.5. He told Timothy that the only balance for covetousness is contentment. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. John Stott once said that life on earth is a brief pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. So we would be wise to travel light. We shall take nothing with us. John Wesley gave us a great example when he said, you should earn all you can, save all you can, so you can give all you can. And as Jim Elliott, who was killed while reaching out to the Horani people in the jungles of Ecuador in 1956, famously said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Paul gave us the example of living dangerously physically, emotionally, racially, socially, theologically, and financially. And he challenged us in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me just as I am also of Christ. In summary, there are Christians around the world this very morning that are living dangerously for the kingdom of God. The persecution of Christians is on the rise. Open Doors USA reports that every month, 255 Christians are killed, 104 are abducted, 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage, 66 churches are attacked, 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned. What is to be our part as the church is suffering? We need, of course, to pray for those being persecuted even this morning. We need to make ourselves available to God to be used in our culture in whatever way he opens to us. We need to humble ourselves and boast only in our weaknesses that the power of God might work through us. A key question for America today might be what J.O. Williams once asked. Will we pamper ourselves into mediocrity when God wants us to forget ourselves 
into immortality? Will we pamper ourselves into mediocrity when God wants us to forget ourselves into immortality? Another quote from John Stott, he said, God wants his people to become like Christ. For Christ's likeness is the will of God for the people of God. What dangerously means for you and what it means for me is different or for someone in another state or another culture. But wherever we are and in whatever sphere of influence we have, God wants us to put our lives on the line for him and for the kingdom. He's not called us to live selfishly, foolishly, or presumptuously, but he's called us to live dangerously for the kingdom. And living dangerously is trusting completely in him wherever he leads, whatever he decrees, and to whatever degrees he requires. All in, all for him. In Luke 6.46, he says, and he confronts our unbelief and disobedience, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Matthew 16.24-25, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Is there safety in the midst of danger? Maybe, maybe not. But there's peace and comfort in doing the will of God. So do not grow weary in doing good. Psalm 4.8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. The reality for us as believers that the safest place we can be is at the center of God's will for our lives. And his will is that we live dangerously for the kingdom in whatever path that takes for each of us as we seek his will for our lives. In closing, I'm going to make a tangible change starting today. I'm going to start saying goodbye to my kids in a different way. Rather than be safe, I'm going to encourage them to be strong and courageous. Brothers and sisters, be strong and courageous. Let's pray. If there's something you'd like to pray out, please do so and I'll close for us.
thank you for the word. Um, the way that Randy took this topic and came up with one, at least one step he could take in how he addresses his children. And what I, I'm just thought of, I need to stop saying no without thinking. But Lord, I need to train my heart, my mind to say yes to what you prompt within me. Lord, I feel like being resistant to take risk, saying no. It's easy to say no. Costs nothing. Requires nothing. But Lord, according to your word, your promises are always yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Help me, Lord, to, to find the strength in you to say yes. Lord, I thank you this morning for this message that you've shared with me that has shaken me out of my slumber. <laughs> and for a long time, Lord, I wanted to be more actively involved in making a difference in the kingdom instead of being on the sidelines. I just pray that you would uh, bring to mind for each of us in the coming days and weeks, this is the way walking in it. God, may we not be complacent, but may we be complicit in moving forward the kingdom of God. And may we walk in humility, knowing that it is only in uh, our weakness that your strength is made perfect. But God, there's nothing, there's nothing that we cannot do in you. Continue to equip us through your word. I thank you for the undergirding of fellowship and accountability that we have in this fellowship. Thank you, God, for a gateway. And may we be that, a gateway. Um, for each of us, Lord, show us those spheres of influence that we have that we can get off the sidelines and get in the, the battle. Um, we have a finite finite amount of time uh, before you either come back or we go home. And Lord, we all desire to hear those words, enter in thou good and faithful servant. Don't feel deserving of that right now. But I thank you, Lord, that 
our faith in you is not based on feelings. It's, it's based on what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives through the Holy Spirit. So we ask you to take what we have, multiply it for the kingdom, do things through us that we could never have imagined. We know that you were able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we can ask or even think. Because you're that kind of God that we serve. Lord, stretch our faith. Build our commitment. Call us deeper. Make us wider and taller and all that you want to do in us, Lord, to bring glory to yourself. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.